This is Upload Media. You found us. We're here. We found you. Oh. Oh. <laughs> it's your favorite podcast, Othered. With your hosts, Caleb and Sarah. Your favorite hosts, your favorite people. Right. We know that you love to listen to us. I can't tell because our reviews haven't um, reflected okay. that. <laughs> if there's nothing else you do in your life. Do you know what? Go leave us a review. I get positive reviews from people all the time in real life. Well, that's IRL. Cool. Okay, well, I, I don't need the numbers it. on the screen. I got the people telling me to my face. Okay, well, because the world doesn't get to share in those reviews with you, I would prefer if you'd go to whatever platform you are hearing us on and please just leave us a numerical review. Then I can see it. Sarah's into the data and the analytics, so do us, do me a favor so I don't have to listen to it every time. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Caleb. (laughs) He he gets stranded with all of my I've just been feeling feisty about it today. Okay, that's all right. Mm -hmm. Feel feisty. Okay. And just remember that this glorious podcast was brought to you by Upload Media Group. Right here in the heart of Iowa, Cedar Rapids. Okay, I wanted there to be a jingle it. after that, <laughs> that and was I was I like, got. um, <laughs> there ah, we go. Oh. Thank you, Craig. Wow, see. Craig's always on time. The magic <laughs> of audio producing. Yes, we love it. We love it. What would we do without it? I don't know. Not not have a show. That's, that's true. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going, Caleb? Uh, it's going. You know, I'm drinking a Coca-Cola or a pop, as you called it. Um, and I'm feeling jazzy, you know, I'm feeling snazzy, razzle dazzle, you know. What's going on in your, um, your physiological self (laughs) that's making you feel that way today? (laughs) Um, I don't know. It's probably the pot of coffee that I've already had to drink. Um, and then the nap that I took and then the more caffeine that I drank. So I just feel, you know wired yeah <laughs> yeah good for you that's physiologically what's happening i was gonna I say and you you're also withdrawing from nicotine oh that's true oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was, that's like the catalyst right. of yeah. all of i uh these things. i have bummed a few in the past three days i've smoked two cigarettes Woo! which is down from like normally 60 cigarettes <laughs> you know so there we go thank Yay! you Craig. Um, thank you everybody thank you (laughs) um but you know i've tried this before and i feel like i've mentioned it on previous podcast episodes where i'm like i'm feeling like my brain is on fire Mm -hmm. and it is and that's okay Mm -hmm. you know i feel like my brain is the the typical neural pathways that my brain is like usually like functioning on are um no longer available so it's it's a, it's a lot happening right now so i feel like equal parts foggy and equal parts like highly activated yeah isn't that a weird place to be yeah i think it's what they call withdrawals mm-hmm. yeah been mm-hmm. there boo yeah mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah how about you physiologically i'm actually doing okay today well i told you i'm 
premenstrual, which oh, is yeah. a shit show. <clears throat> so <clears throat> I am hormones also are raging right raging. now. Raging. <laughs> <laughs> I know everyone really enjoys hearing about. I do this. actually enjoy hearing about your um, neurochemistry. <laughs> Thanks, Caleb. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, um, yeah, that's where I'm at. So anything you could imagine, uh, it's probably true. You're on a roller coaster right now. We don't know where it's going to end. Right. Are we up? Are we down? <laughs> Are we going in circles? Are we going backwards? A bunch of loop-de-loops is what we're doing. Yep. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's that. I don't uh-huh. have anything else to share. Okay, cool. Okay, cool. I love that for you. Me too. Um, I, sorry, no, what? No, go ahead. I want you to say what you want to say. No, what were you say? What say what you need to say. Um, I don't remember exactly what I was going to say, but mm. now I'm going to move on. Okay. Unless you want to say what you were going to say. No, I just wanted to tell you that you're beautiful. Oh, my mm. gosh. Stop <laughs> it. I asked Caleb today, I was like, should I wear makeup or should I basically look like the dirt ball that I am? And he's like, you know, I think <laughs> I love you. I think you... Just remember how you feel about yourself when you get dressed and when you look your best. So maybe just put like a little blush on, maybe a mascara. I love Caleb, so I did. I put foundation on and a little mascara and I got dressed. I think I came about, I came to that conversation with a more like recognize how you feel when you do these things. I know. You know, not because I want you to look a certain way for me, oh, you know, I know what I mean? Okay. I feel also that when I take steps to be the best version of me, it spares you dealing with the not best version of me. Oh yeah, because you like mention like, oh, I feel like shit today, blah, blah, blah. Or I'll be like, I've got like... my favorite sweats on and you're like, yeah, we know. Because <laughs> we see them all the time. So I feel like, yes, you were looking out for me, but you were also looking out for you. Was I? I think so. <laughs> okay, maybe. A little bit, but I'll, that's okay. I feel like that's what friendship is. Right. <laughs> anyway, um, we've been really lucky in the past, I, this season, I think, mm-hmm. um, to past find- Past couple months. Yeah, to find really extraordinary people to share time with on this podcast. Mm. And today is no different. We are joined by some really special guests, um, community leaders, um, especially in the recovery community, which, as, as you know, if you've listened to us, um, is very near and dear to our hearts right now as mm-hmm. we support our boo Caleb in his recovery journey. That's right. Mm-hmm. So I want to just go ahead and introduce our guests today. Oh, thanks, Craig. Come on oh. down, guests. We are joined today with Rod and Deb Courtney of Crush Recovery Center. Welcome. Welcome. Thank, Thank you. you. We're yeah. so excited to have you here. I feel like I should have sauntered. <laughs> you can. You can saunter you can in your chair. You can do whatever you want to do. <laughs> that music, like, ah, oh, let's go we do are this. so happy to be here. Yeah. Well, we're so happy you're here. Yeah. We got a chance to talk with you guys a few days ago and immediately just knew there was going to be a connection, uh, that good vibe that you put out. So we're really pleased to be here and be part of this. So thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So before, well, actually, I was introduced to your organization from our good friend Liz Bennett. Mm -hmm. Um, When I asked her, I'm like, who are we missing in the community? Who should we be talking to? She was like, I love this um, organization, Crush, and started looking at your stuff and immediately felt like it would be a good fit for our podcast Mm -hmm. and for kind of where we're at in life. So would you tell us a little bit about Crush? What is it? Um, And 
tell us how you got started here in Cedar Rapids. So CRUSH itself, I mean, it stands for Community Resources United to Spread Hope. And um, we got involved with the uh, CRUSH organization back in about March of 2017 after we lost our, we had lost our son to a fentanyl overdose on November 1st of 2016. And during the course of time over 24 years, uh, we had realized that there's a lot of uh, voids in services, I guess, a lot of holes in services, a lot of transition periods where people could be getting help and it wasn't always accessible just because things were just, there's lack of bed space, there's insurance costs, there's all these things. And uh, I got trained as a peer recovery coach in 2018 and learned about uh, recovery community organizations or recovery community centers. And I came back and I told Deb, I said, I want to do this. So it brings people with lived experience together. Uh, everybody that works at Crush either is uh, recovering from some type of substance use disorder, has been impacted by a substance use disorder, case in point would be Deb. And uh, they share that experience with people. So we're a drop-in center and people come in and they meet with a peer and we do plans and we do community service, uh, not, well, we do uh, community trainings, I should say. And uh, it's just kind of grown from there. And the list, I mean, the things that we do would take up a, a huge a huge chunk of time. I don't know. I, and I know there's more to say about that, Deb. I don't know what you want to add. Well, I, I think after our son passed away, uh, we found um, we were devastated, of course, and we were looking for somewhere that we could connect with someone and that we could uh, grieve and, and, and share what, we, had, we were going through, and everywhere I called, there was uh, so much stigma in, in things mm. whenever I said mm. my son was a heroin addict. Mm. And um, so then he came home and said, we're going to start our own mom and pops kind of group. You yeah. know? And, oh, boy, I went. He had to kind of drag me in the beginning because I was still pretty devastated, and, and uh, we both mourned so diff- differently, you know, but... Um, once we started this group, there was like, first group was maybe two or three people showed up and, and this happened for several weeks and, you know, we had conversations, is this going to work? Is this, you know, and then it just kept growing. And then by the time COVID hit in 2020, we were zooming into residential treatment centers and we were connecting people from, you know, maybe the parents were in New York and their child is here in Cedar Rapids and um, or a parent is in residential here and their children are scattered throughout the United States and bringing those families that have been separated back together and finding that connection and through all of this, Rod and I have grown so much and learned so much, and they're our family. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole recovery community is uh, phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they call us Grandma and Grandpa Crush. They do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Grandma, Grandpa. Crush. Yeah. Is yeah. The, is Crush the acronym? Is that something you guys came up with, or is that like a different? No, I, there's a, another part to this whole big story. It's like I, uh, I'm a person in long-term recovery, so it's been uh, it's been over 40 years since the last time I drank or drugged, and uh, that 
piece of like my recovery mm -hmm. sent me into a desire to, to go back to school and do things and I became an addictions counselor then I uh, I went ahead and I started working with the Department of Corrections as the treatment coordinator and probation officer so I was you know and I'm a trained social worker so when I just be it was like after Chad he passed away in November <coughs> and there was an organization in Cedar Rapids that I miss greatly it's a it's uh, Eastern Iowa Heroin Initiative, and along with them was HIDA, which is High Intensity Drug Trafficking Areas, which Cedar Rapids is one of. And they came out to Corrections and they did a training, and they'd actually kind of they been out there twice, and they did invite me the first time, um, just because they felt you know it, it was respectful not you know to not have me there at that time. But they came and they, they did this presentation and it talked about, you know, where the drugs come from, different types of opioids, different, just, you know. And I was like, how did I not know this? I mean, look at my life. And I did not, there was, I knew so little about opioids mm -hmm. and, and uh, you know, heroin and uh, the, 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 all the kind of uh, designer drugs that, that went along with that. But at, at that time, there was an officer here in Cedar Rapids he, and he... He said, we're looking for people to start up uh, support groups for family and friends for community resources united to stop heroin. So that was the original title. And we were kind of blessed with that, and we worked with that. But then we started realizing when you start bringing the community together, this addresses so many different drugs. It brings so sure. many I mean, substances, I should say, in mental health. And it's a collective wisdom. So we decided to change that up the community resources united to spread hope and it's people were getting confused it's like well if you don't have an opioid problem or heroin problem you know you you can't go to crush so we've really broadened you know the the, the folks that we can serve and I, to play off a little bit of what Deb was saying, like when we started with the you know three or four people in the room in my thoughts like well maybe this isn't going to catch on I thought there was a need uh, we just learned that over the last nine months, we've had over 10,000 people go through our recovery community center. So 10,000 lives wow. have been touched one way or the other. That's incredible. Yeah, I never realized that because it's just busy every day. So, yeah. so you guys went from a room out of a building that wasn't your own to mm -hmm. opening your own physical center. And what kind of prompted that change? You want to take that down? Sure. Um, I think most of it was... Um, in 2018, Rod went to a conference, and it was uh, he took the peer recovery coaching um, classes, and it was a week-long conference, and then he took the ethics, and then he took the trainer of trainers kind of uh, classes, and he came home, and he said, we're going to open a recovery center. And I said, what? <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. <laughs> That's kind of his personnel. I love that. And uh, so... Um, he just started kind of gearing all of his, you know, gathering information and and um, his networking, all of that stuff. And in 2020, um, no, 2021, uh, it was Christmas and both of us had COVID. And so we couldn't be around our family who lived just three doors down and, and another mm -hmm. a child across the street. And um, so we had to spend Christmas by ourselves, and they had just put out a grant to open the first recovery community center in the state of Iowa. Yep. Other states across the nation have had these, and they've been successful, but Iowa 
did not have any. Mm. And he said, we're going to do a grant. <laughs> so there we sat on Christmas Day with COVID, both of us, um, filling out this grant and turning it in. Well, we were supposed to find out in March whether we got the, the grant or not. And in January, he says to me, get your coat on. Come on, we're going to meet somebody up in Cedar Rapids. I said, who, who are we going to see? And he said, we're going to go meet with a realtor. We've got to find a place for our recovery center. <laughs> <laughs> That's called faith. <laughs> yeah, he tells me, you have to manifest these things. Yeah, so, I love yeah, that. Yeah, so... Your life will follow your thoughts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what I've told people for a long yeah. time. Even kids like, man, you think it, you know, and you feel it. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just it, it just kind of panned out that way. It, you know, it, I'm sorry, yeah. Jeff. Go ahead. I don't even know where I was going with that. Well, it was January. You guys went out to go look at the space. Yes. And, and so we found one space, and we thought, oh, this is good, you know, maybe. And um, it fell through. And then... Just by chance, the next day, our realtor called and said, oh, my gosh, I think you're going to really like this place I found. And it was at the Human Service Campus, which is perfect, you know, yeah. because mm -hmm. there's, you know, other organizations. That's right between that... downtown and our Nubo district. Mm -hmm. right? yes. That's like central for mm -hmm. Cedar Rapids. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So we went up and looked at it, and we had just found out that we got the grant. And uh, so we signed a lease. And That's amazing. Went uh, took over in May of 2022 and opened our doors the end of June um, of 2022. And wow. we we had no furniture. We had nothing. And we sat there. We had some chairs we brought up from home. Yeah. <laughs> and we sat there. And it, it's kind of like, build it and they will come. <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah. That's an Iowa thing for sure. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. And we started getting phone calls from like uh, Prudential Life Insurance was mm -hmm. moving out to another town or something. And they were getting rid of all of their furniture. So they called and said, you know, we have all these desks and chairs. And we're like, yeah. Yeah. You know, right. So wow. we went over there and. That's how we furnished our, our – we have 12 offices, and they're all with desks and chairs from there. And uh, The DEA came forward and gave us a couple conference tables. That's um, incredible. You yeah, know, just is. the community just reached out to mm -hmm. us, and, and so it started. And there was two or three, and then there was 100, and then there was, you know, um, you know pretty consistently we have, oh, probably about – what is it about fifteen hundred a month, maybe? Maybe something that, like that. That includes people. Our, people. Yeah. Yeah. Walk in through wow. the yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Well, that includes too. That's our, that to mention that like there's some self help groups that we just provide space for, so they yeah, meet sure. there. But there's still there's still that interaction that takes place, like with the folks that come in, and we're still providing that uh, that type of space and area for them. I like to, to refer to it as it's like a uh, it's like a recovery oasis. Sure. You know, if somebody's struggling and, you know, they're, maybe they're coming out of treatment and they're going back home and you really don't have any really solid connections in the recovery community yet, come up, have a cup of coffee, sit down with one of the peer recovery coaches and just and just vent, you know, or just talk or just share. So it's transition periods for, for people um, that deal with substance use disorders, whether it's coming out of treatment or coming out of jail or maybe the ending of a relationship or whatever it is. Any transition period is such a risky period of time, and it's not like you can just, uh, and this is no fault of the treatment agencies at all, but you, you can't just walk in and say, hey, I want to meet with a counselor and have it happen. Mm -hmm. Now, there's places like Community Mental Health Access Center. They have places you can go and triage, but still just numbers. I mean, we can handle more for numbers, and, and uh, we're growing all the time. 
so just to clarify too, so what I've heard so far is that this recovery center basically kind of fills in the gaps mm -hmm. between different forms of treatment, right? Mm -hmm. Or for recovery, yeah. right? Or from institutions, yep. right? Yep. Um, <clears throat> and then, so what about this recovery center is different or unique? Because you said that this is the first one in Iowa. What is What makes this, like, I guess... So unique as opposed to, you know, like a, uh, an AA fellowship club or like a, um, mm -hmm. an, an another like treatment center, I guess. I don't know if they would call them treatment centers, but um, like a recovery center or something. Like what is what is a recovery center is the question. It's an all pathways <coughs> approach. All pathways approach. Yes. Okay. And so um, maybe AA doesn't work for you. Sure. And so you want to try something different. We help them find how recovery fits them. Mm. What works for you? What can we help you find? Um, you know, maybe it's um, going to an art group, you know, once a week or, mm -hmm. you know, and we do hold. Uh, we have AA meetings. We have NA meetings. Uh, we have uh, art group. We have uh, veterans groups. Mm -hmm. um, we have... Writing. What is it? A letter to my past. Oh a yeah, writing a group. writing mm -hmm. class. Yeah, um, so we we have a, a a variety of things there that people can choose from, kind of like Rod always calls it a menu, like going into a restaurant. Sure. I think I'm going to have a little bit of this today <laughs> and a little bit of this today. Yeah, and uh, so it it kind of opens. Um, more area for them to be able to pick something that that helps yeah. them. I like the idea of pathways mm -hmm. like that. That makes sense to my brain for sure. Um, and so are there like counselors in at the center? Like how does that work? Well, and I think that's one of the uh, main differences. Like, you know, with the 12 step approaches, you have peers yeah. you know, they have sponsors. They have people that will that work the steps with you. Um, if you come in or when you come into the recovery community center, the, the, at least the, the spirit of what should be happening is, you know, what does recovery look like to you and how can I help you with that? How can I support you with that? How can So the peer recovery coaches are trained around that. So there's a five-day training they go through and then I, I can't, I think it's six hours of ethics after that. So there's like uh, learning how to set good boundaries and how to, you know, how to act appropriately with the folks that you're interacting with. As far as like, you know, you don't start relationships, you know, you don't mm. give money. You don't 13th step people. 13th step. <laughs> I was like, one of the things that every, every, everybody talks about it, you know, or it sees it, but uh, it's not talked a lot about. But it's a very, it's a real, it's a very real thing. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, I, you know, I've said that this is true of like even recovery community center or any approach used. People don't land there because they're healthy. They didn't get there because they come there to get healthy, to find a better way, mm. you know, to, to kind of work past some of that. So I think that's some of the, you know, the multiple pathways is is the biggest difference because it doesn't make any difference which which path you follow. We have a little mantra. It's called no, no matter the path, no matter the substance, we got you. And so you come in and engage. We really feel that the opposite of addiction is connection and wherever that might be, to have a place to connect. So those are like some of the the main differences and just the fact that we're a drop-in center. You know, you can come in and have a cup of coffee and, and work on your recovery or, or sometimes people will go back and work on some of their step work. So that's kind of the bigger differences. Sure. 
Um, so getting into, you guys have been open now for what, a year and a couple months. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what are things looking like, um, in terms of like where you guys are at now, as opposed to where you started, like how are things functioning? Are you guys continuing to grow? Is that, um, are you guys ha- like, I don't know, staffing wise and all that stuff? How is that going? Wow. <laughs> I know, I kind of want to like get into it, but. No, it's, no, this is, I'm glad you did because it's like, uh, we, we started, uh, we've already said it was Deb and I, and we had the family, we don't, we, we've always had an amazing board and I can say more about our, our board later if, if we'd like, but we always had an amazing board and it was Deb and I. And then when we opened the, we got the grant and opened the recovery community center, it was, uh, we hired two other full-time employees and from that, uh, and this came with some additional funding streams, we hired two more. So I think not right now we have six full-time employees mm-hmm. and we're on target. I mean, some of these things are in planning. So I kind of, I, I do a little bit of hesitancy because they're like, some of this is really, really fresh. But if everything comes to fruition, which it will, mm-hmm. uh, in the next <laughs> year or so, we'll be looking at hiring 10 more recovery coaches. Mm-hmm. And we're going to target uh, uh, what would be, Maybe referred to as high utilization folks, you know, people that uh, frequent the emergency rooms, people that have a uh, a lot of contact with ambulances or law enforcement, where the peer recovery coaches can have contact with them, and so it's kind of you know kind of narrow that down, and 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 hopefully we'll be able to make some inroads and help there, just provide that support and add some connection. Totally. On top of that, we have a volunteer program. Oh, yeah. And we have right now almost 100 volunteers. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, yeah. Um, now, some of them are more active than others. Sure. But active volunteers, the ones right now, there's at least 25 where um, if we've got something going on, like, a uh, you know, something out in the community, they're there. They're showing up. They're, they're helping. They stop by the center a lot. Out of the rest of the 100, if we call them... Um, you know, they, they come. They're like on call. Yeah. Yeah. Mm Because one of the things that happens in our volunteer program is we're building leaders. And so they get out in the community, they get jobs Mm -hmm. and they move on with their life and do things. So that's totally what we want to have happen. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, I kind of want to talk about, and this is something we, um, kind of danced around when we first met a, uh, a week ago. Um, is the kind of inclusion mm-hmm. that happens at this recovery center. Because I know that this is something, you know, I, not that I've experienced necessarily so much, but I can see happening, um, is between groups of, like, when I've started in my own recovery, like going into 12-step recovery, that my issue is this issue, right? But I don't talk to people who are in, you know, CA or NA or OA or whatever, um, there's a lot of different recovery groups, mm-hmm. right? And for Crush, it's not just heroin, even though it started out that way, but now it's like all inclusive. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? I can. I mean, it's, it's all inclusive as far as people. It's all inclusive as far as substances are concerned. Uh, it's all inclusive as far as no matter where you're at with your recovery. We, we use what's called the stages of change. And for some people, this will be familiar, but there's... You know, there's like stages of change. Some people are literally pre-contemplative of change. They're going to pay the price. I'm, I'm willing to pay the price to use. Mm. And then there's a contemplative stage, you know, and then there's like the, the there's like the, 
make sure I get this right, the action stage. And then uh, that's like the treatment stage, maintenance. So meeting people where they're at. And I heard something here in the last year or so that I really, really enjoyed, I mean, really liked. And that's like somebody said, we have a duty to meet people where they're at. And then the follow-up to that, we also have a duty not to leave them there. Mm-hmm. You know, and that really resonated with me. It's like, yeah, it's easy to say, well, we're going to meet you where you're at, but we're not going to leave you there. So um, I, I hear frequently that Crush has a, it's what they call a good vibe. It's a good vibe. It's welcoming. We're not clinical for a reason. Mm-hmm. You know, and we try to look comfortable. And, you know, some days, you know, we have... We have made arrangements for uh, people who have children so they can bring their children up. So some days it's messy. Some days you're going to step on a dinosaur, you know, mm-hmm. but that's good because that just adds to the vibe. That's and we life. Have, yeah, oh, yeah, that's life, yeah. yeah. And our, some of our recoveries, we don't, we don't have clients. Um, we don't have patients or recoveries. And they do art, and they put their art up. And it's just like you can just kind of feel that it's like, I'm I'm okay here, and of course you know I have a lot of bias, but I I, I hear that you know people talk about that, so it's important to us that people know uh, that it doesn't make any difference who you are, uh, that you're welcome there, and it, there's going to be somebody else that can uh, identify with you and connect with you. Mm-hmm. So I think that's. Yeah, that's kind of. I mean, that's that's like a from the feelings, like from the heart kind of thing. Well, and I think it's um, a building where um, all different types of groups mm-hmm. can be in one building. Sure. Mm-hmm. Which and people are welcome, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that's important. Yeah, and it's about health equity too. So not everybody has access to services. Uh, whether it's insurance or whether it's just not having uh, the, you know, the ability to work through the paperwork or somebody can come and help you work through that. So I think that helps address some of the health. They call it health equity. I refer to it as health inequity. But mm-hmm. it's like that health equity piece of it that I, I, um, I think we do a good job at. All these things I think we can do a better job at, and I hope that we do. That's awesome. I think we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will hear more about Crush. Stay tuned. So we're talking about, you know, during the break, we started talking about the stigma of addiction and um, how society kind of treats addicts um, and how there's a learning curve, I think, especially uh, for people who haven't gone through addiction. Um, And so I would love to hear what you were telling me about. We wanted to get that. Um, Um, I guess I can go back to um, 
my past, I was raised in an alcoholic home. I mm. married an alcoholic. Um, and then we had children, and my husband went into Rod, went into recovery. Mm-hmm. And by the time Chad was five years old, uh, we were in recovery. We were living a life of recovery. We were going to meetings together. We were doing, you know, recovery picnics. We were uh, going to church, doing all those things. And we thought we had broke that cycle. And then when Chad became a teenager um, and started going to high school, that changed. And he started coming home drunk, skipping school, you know, uh, marijuana, LSD. I mean, whatever he could find as he got Uh, until he finally dropped out of high school. And in that beginning stage of his addiction, as a a parent, um, it was hard to understand. Why isn't he listening to me? Can't he see what we've gone through as a family? Why isn't he listening? You know, why can't he just stop? And as the years went on and, you know, he went to prison, because of his substance use disorder, um, you know, he, he got married. He had two children. There were times in his life where he had recovery, and then he would drop it. And so each time was a learning curve for me. And um, at my work, you know, I would be told um, things about my child um, because he was an addict. Um, people didn't understand and they didn't understand what a family goes through when they love someone that is an addict. By the time he got into his um, 30s and uh, started using heroin, um, it was about that time that I realized I had to open my mind more. I had changed over the years to where, you know, I talked to him, I kept connection with him. But at that point, I decided this isn't about me. This isn't about why isn't he doing this for me or our family. This is about him and what he's going through. And he didn't wake up and want to be a heroin addict one day. He, he didn't want to walk that path. And I don't think people understand uh, the sickness that um, he, you know, that he was going through at that time. So, at the time that I I opened myself up to talking to him about, tell me about it, tell me what you're going through. You know, what's this sickness feel like? What can Dad and I do? What can we? Uh, how can we be there for you? And um, up until. Um, you know, um, his last treatment experience, uh, and he, he left early out of it and, you know, I didn't want him to, but I, I understood. And, um, at the end when he passed from his overdose, um, I knew that I had had a relationship with him, you know, that I knew um, some of the stuff that he was he was going through. And um, I feel like if more people could just open themselves up to seeing what the other person is going through and not 
think it's all about how it's affecting yourself. Mm-hmm. It's about that other person. Yeah. I think that then needs to be more compassion. Yeah. Compassion. So, yeah. As a mom, I I mean, every time my kids leave the house, I like hold my breath and I'm terrified mm-hmm. of everything that exists for them. Yeah. Um, what had to happen in your life or for you to make you have a change of heart about how you approached this relationship or how did you get out of that? Look what this is doing to our family, but really start to be compassionate about his experience so you guys could could have that relationship. Like what changed? Um, you know, I think it was just that I saw that, uh, that he was changing and the conversations that we had. And I knew I had to do something. And what I was doing wasn't working. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to be just there for him, you know. And um, we would have telephone calls, you know. Um, and I'd say to him, yeah, I could just tell by the way he was talking, Chad, are, are you using today? Oh, yeah, you know, and so we'd talk about that. And, um, you know, I know my dose, Mom, don't worry, you know. And you just have to have those kind of open conversations because that's the reality of addiction, Mm -hmm. you know, not the, um, oh, we don't want to talk about it and Mm -hmm. keep it hidden, you know. No, um, this is my son, Mm -hmm. and I love him. One of the things that really bothered me, the stigma, was his last treatment experience. He had actually overdosed and gone into the hospital. And he was in there for four days in intensive care, and we were not notified because he was an adult, and they couldn't really see information. So on day four, when he came out of um, his, I guess, coma kind of thing, he called us and said, I'm, I'm in the intensive care unit. And uh, so uh, my daughter and I went up, and uh, we had this little window of time because he said, I need help. I need help. You, you have to help me. And, and so we went out and asked for a doctor to do an evaluation because they were going to just release him from the hospital. And I think this is one of the places where Rod talks about that gap. They were going to release him out of the hospital. Well, he's a heroin addict. Mm-hmm. He gets released from the hospital. The first thing that he's going to want to do is go out and and make it so that he's not sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so I was bargaining. You know, I was, you know, can, can you get him in a treatment center? He's willing to go. You know, you got this little window of time. So they called the doctor down, and the doctor came down to the nurse's station and said, where's the junkie? And I just, you know, I said, this is my son, Mm. you know. um, He's a human. He's a human, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, so uh, that's, you know, that's hard to take as a parent. Mm -hmm. And, again, I think it's just feeling the pain that the other person is in. Mm -hmm. And um, I knew that was my time with him. So I think, you know, it's important to uh, I think even in my own recovery to have learned to dispel some of that shame, you know, Mm -hmm. because I think society treats addiction like a moral failure, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and I think one of the things that helped me so much was learning that it's it's not that it's a sickness. Mm -hmm. Right. It's a disorder. It's a um, it's a yeah, it's a disorder. And. 
you know, for so long while I was in my cups, while I was in like deep in my alcoholism, I, I wanted out. I wanted mm-hmm. help and I didn't know how to get help, you know. Um, and I saw it for myself as a moral failure. I felt deep, deep shame, you know, and I needed help, but I didn't know how to ask for it because I felt, you know, that I was doing something wrong and I didn't know how to stop it. And so I think, you know, the compassion comes from is so necessary because I wanted to stop, but I didn't know how to stop, you know? And I think a lot of times society treats addicts and they just write them off because like, well, if you want to stop, then just stop. And it's mm-hmm. not that easy. No. Like addiction is not that easy. And so no. I think that comes from a, a misunderstanding of what addiction really mm-hmm. is. We had a family member that said to us, well, why didn't you just tell him to stop? <laughs> Duh. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What that simple, that simple. Then, you know. Yeah. What a great idea. Right. Yeah. Wow. You are so smart. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I want to hear about that maybe even from Rod's perspective, somebody who has been through recovery as a, as, as an addict in recovery, right? Yeah. Um, you talk about the stigma piece. Oh yeah. Or just just any of it really. You know, I went to work and I went to the bar and I drank, I got drunk, I went home, I slept, I worked, you know, I saw, I don't know if, uh, I, I, would have recognized that, but that might have been just because I was so sick myself. And I agree with you. It's like the shame piece of it. I think it was the shame and the guilt that eventually led me to recovery. Because mm. it's like I'm just so tired of feeling this way. And um, but I'm thinking about the first time I really knew that stigma was so alive and well. And I've already, I mean, I'm already working as an addictions counselor. And Chad had been through a, a whole bunch of treatments, short-term treatments, and we're looking for a longer-term treatment because I really felt that that was, might be the, the answer. And we had to go through uh, the court to do it. And I went into the, the, the court house and it's like you know how they have like these big atrium kind of areas and courthouses mm. with benches and so i'm sitting there uh, waiting to go meet with the the judge and a dhs worker and it was like back in chambers and this young attorney came in and sat down opened the file and looked at the file and go oh my god this this kid is a mess i thought his dad was a substance abuse counselor like that would be some kind of a magic thing mm. and then there uh they we went through the hearing process and during that chad was referred to as incorrigible <clears throat> he was an incorrigible child and this was a child to me he was a wrestler and a football player and he played the saxophone you know and he liked to play drama to theater and he was creative and all these things but i i couldn't see him as incorrigible and then it's like the stigma is it's 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 in it's it's really systemic, mm-hmm. you know. And I I wondered what stigma was. I mean, really, I thought, well, we talk about stigma a lot, and I wish I could I could quote this, but what when I looked it up, what it came down to is a person in our society that is looked down on. You know, that's what it is. So if I was going to think about stigma in my life, I'm sure people I know people looked down on me, but I was kind of at the point I didn't care until I did. So stigma is very much alive and well. And going back to peer recovery coaches, I think that's one of the things that uh, we deal with, our peer recovery coaches deal with. It's like a person with experience, lived experience comes back in and they go back into, uh, you know, some kind of a 
system and they're going to provide pure recovery coaching there's there's that kind of that way you know they're they were a meth addict like yeah i know that <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know, that's why they're here right but it's like they're pure i'm going off i'm going out in the weeds here but pure recovery courses aren't the trained seals that the systems used to they're not going to just honk the horns for everybody when they're on cue they're going to speak the truth and sometimes that can come back uh, back on us because it's not going to be they're not afraid of the stigma anymore they're not afraid of being looked down on it's like I've come to terms with my own shame my own guilt yeah. I'm going to speak my own truth and I think that that because this is a movement what's happening here with peer recovery coaches and all these things is really a recovery movement because it's just so different we're not clinicians we understand the importance of clinicians but we're not sure. so it's and it's not going to go away anytime soon well, I think there's something that scares society about the peer coaching mm -hmm. um, because it's not a clinician. It's right. not a, a mental health professional that went to college to obtain a master's degree. It's people who understand the struggle, mm -hmm. who are directly talking to other people who are struggling. Mm -hmm. And I think society, again, with the stigma, they don't want people who have you know, fallen victim to that stigma talking to other people mm -hmm. because that won't actually break in their minds, I think, it. It's not utilizing the systems that they want to have um, help. Mm -hmm. I think that we see that a lot just with other communities. Um, totally. It scares mm -hmm. the masses to have these little, you know, the people that aren't, I don't, what's the word I'm looking for? Like part of the Status quo. normal, yeah, the right. normal society, mm -hmm. like helping each other that, mm -hmm. yeah, jeopardizes everything. Right. Um, but in my mind, that seems like the very natural thing to do is have someone who understands mm -hmm. that illness coaching other people who are suffering from that. Right. Well, like you said at the beginning, the the opposite of addiction is connection. Mm -hmm. You're right. Um, and I think that has been so true of my life, you know, that I felt so isolated when mm -hmm. I was in my addiction. Um, and that the more that I recover and the more that I'm sober the more connection that I find and the more mm -hmm. connection that I feel, um, not only to myself, but to those around me, which I think has been, you know, de facto, like the most important thing to me, yeah. you know, that I have my community. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of people out there who are in their addiction and they don't have a community. Yeah. I want to know as someone who loves people um, with substance um, abuse disorders, what are ways that I can be supportive what are what are things I can do? What are things I can say um, so that the people who I love who might struggle know that I am open-minded and accepting and willing to help? That sounds like a rod question. <laughs> uh, I, I think, you know, in, in part, it, it, so much of it's going to come down to language mm -hmm. and the way that we, this is probably true in other communities as well, but it's, it's that language and identifying. It's like, you know, it's not, they're not junkies. They're people that use drugs, mm -hmm. and always put that person first, and recognize that they are that they are people, and uh, have the ability to separate the person from the substance use disorder, mm. because that's you know as myself as an example. It's like I was never really comfortable in my alcoholic skin. Mm. You know, it was different. It was a, it was it when it. Flew in the face of my moral compass. It flew in the face of everything that, you know, I wanted to be. So, 
I knew that there was two. I asked Debbie one time uh, after I'd been sober for quite some time, I said, why did you stick around, you know? And she looked at me and she said, because I always knew you were in there. So no, inside of that, some someplace inside of that substance use disorder, there's um, there's a person. And, 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 that, and that person, many times that person is just crying to get out of that particular state. And empathy. You know, when Debbie talked today, it's like I just listened to her, and I, and I love listening to her because she just seeps empathy. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like she's not formally trained, but she seeps empathy. And uh, that's really what's been uh, a big part of making this such a, a, a beautiful journey. In a rough, rough way. No one can see, but we're all sitting here like <laughs> crying. I'm not crying. You're crying. <laughs> I'm crying. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's so much. There's so much power to that. You know, yeah. there's so much power behind um, love and uh, empathy. You know, and that's what fuels the movement. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like what you were saying. Um, and I, yeah, I just love that. I love that a lot. Like, just quickly, we went up to, um, it was way up north. What was the name of that little Cherokee. town? Cherokee. Iowa, which is several hours away. And we spoke in, in, in a couple different schools several times. And it's really taxing. When you lay yourself out there like that, it's mm-hmm. really taxing because it's like, talk about vulnerability. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm laying out every yes. little weak part of my life in the worst <laughs> moments of my life. Mm-hmm. And um, we had, this was uh, quite a while ago, and we had a chance to go to the hospital and talk about prescribing, prescribing practices. And um, I don't know if it's a nurse. It was part of the hospital staff there. She looked at me. She said, you're not bitter. And why is that? And I like, I don't know. So she gave me an out. She goes, well, you must have a very strong spiritual base. I said, yep, that's right. <laughs> there you go. Yep. Prayed my way right out of that. <laughs> but um, I, we had this long drive, and I kept thinking about it. It's like, how come I didn't get bitter? Because a lot of parents do. They mm-hmm. go into their cells, and they get angry, and they get angry at the system, and they get angry at you know, so many things. And not that I haven't been, but just during the course of that thought process, it dawned on me that if I get bitter, heroin wins mm. because it's just going to destroy another life. Mm-hmm. It's going to destroy several other lives. And it's like, I am not going to let that happen. One of the last conversations we had, this was Chad's last treatment experience. We were driving back and Chad was feeling really good. And he said, he said, you know, dad, he said, I want to do what you do. And it kind of threw me off. Like, well, what is that? And uh, he said, I just want to make a difference. And, that that statement, Dad, I just want to make a difference, has, was the genesis for me for everything that's happening. Mm-hmm. Because today, every day that I get up, Chad's going to make a difference until I'm not capable anymore. So Yeah, the easy thing would have been to become bitter. Mm-hmm. And the hard thing is doing this work every single day, I would imagine, mm-hmm. um, and telling the story over and over and over again. But this is the stuff that really people need to hear. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause addiction has affected so many, so many lives. Yeah. Um, and yeah. this is just really important. 
just the tip of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. It really is. It's with the fentanyl and everything that's happening now. It's gonna. It's gonna. I mean, it, I don't want to be like the doomsday, but it, there's there's a lot of things that are if they're not addressed and addressed effectively and addressed soon, uh, there's gonna be a lot of families that are uh, impacted, and uh, you know, in some really tough ways. What can people do who might? still be actively using, but are really thinking hard about making a change, what can those people do to keep themselves safe in their addiction or until they are ready to transition to the next part? And during the transitions, as you said, we're really tough and kind of unsupported times. You know, uh, because, you know, fentanyl is basically in everything right now. And I, it, it's like, I don't have to go to the books or to statistics or data to get that. I get that from the street. Mm-hmm. People say there's just fentanyls and everything. Narcan, naloxone, it's like, it's like right now Cedar Rapids has done a really good job uh, around us. They're going to put Narcan, naloxone, vending machines. Uh, we're going to have one here, if, if, or hero, I'm sorry, at Crush. If, uh, if you know somebody and love somebody that uses opioids or uses in general, uh, carry that with you. If if somebody does have an overdose, don't leave. Dial nine one one. Get somebody there. Um, you know, have your Narcan and Naloxone with you. It just don't use alone. Don't use alone. That's some of the the ways to to help lessen that. It's never going to be perfect, but we can lessen that. And know that there's people out there that really and truly care about you. I don't know how many people are going to hear this podcast. I hope a million. And I want to tell every one of you, somebody loves you. And uh, don't ever give up on that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Thank you for that, Rob. You're welcome. Yeah, I think we all, yeah, we needed to hear that. Yeah, Yeah. we did. We all have those days. You know, I'm just not worthy. Yeah, you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everybody has something to offer. Mm-hmm. I think on that note, we're going to wrap it. Yeah. Is there anything else you guys want to say before we end our time together? Just thank you for this opportunity, you know, and it really just think about that. It's like um, we're small, we're available, uh, you know, call us. Check our Facebook page out and... Uh, and know that no matter the substance and, you know, no matter the path you take, we got you. I think I want to say thank you, too. And uh, it's a good day when I get to talk about Chad. So yeah. thank yeah. you. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for yeah. joining us No, today. thank you. Thank you. This has been amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And on that note. We have a game? Oh yeah. <laughs> Should we is that the vibe? Uh, I don't know, maybe not. I'm feeling like no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. But I hope you guys come back and maybe we'll play next time. Yeah. Please do. Yeah, yeah. I'd I'd love to come back. And I'd love to have you maybe come up to crush. Yeah, come oh, up to yeah. the center. Oh, no. That'd be great. Totally. Yeah. 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 We were just talking this morning about going up today and it didn't work today, but it is on our to do list very soon to yeah. both go to yeah. the center. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Let us know so we can be up there when you when you come. We will. <laughs> All right. <laughs> bring Liz. We'll do. Okay. Yeah, we will bring Liz. Yeah. Listeners, we love you. Mm-hmm. Please really take 
um, these words to heart and share this episode with anyone you know who might be struggling. And just remember that there is help available um, and that there are people like Rod and Deb who understand what you're going through and want to be there for you. So please don't feel alone. Don't let shame keep you from asking for help. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. For sure. Mm -hmm. Perfect. And we love you. I was going to say, I want you to feel shame in not reviewing our podcast. <laughs> so a good way to fight the shame monster is to go leave us a review. <laughs> Otherwise, oh, I'll find you. I'll force you to leave us one. You're the best. <laughs> <sighs> and until then, I think we're done. We're done. Mm-hmm. Peace out. Peace out. Deuces. Love you guys. Deuces. <laughs>